been going through the book of Hebrews 10, 32-39. So this is the precursor to that famous chapter that you're all familiar with about faith. So we're getting into what is faith. So here it is, Hebrews 10, 32-11-1. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The word of the Lord. They were ordinary people, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, names like Miles Standish, William Bradford, Priscilla Mullins. And on September 16, 1620, they set off on a ship called the Mayflower. <laughs> For a 66-day grueling journey to what was called back then the New World. We know them as the Pilgrims. And we celebrate one of their holidays this week, Thanksgiving, which was celebrated about one year later in November. Now, why did the Pilgrims celebrate this holiday, Thanksgiving? The reason was because they had endured almost uh, unimaginable conditions, and yet some of them had managed to survive and they wanted to give thanks to God. See, when 102 of them came over on the boat to the New World, they had no idea of what was before them. After the first winter, 45 had died, and by Thanksgiving, there were only 53 left alive of the 102. After the starving time, and yet they paused to give thanks. What was it that drove these people to take such a dangerous journey, these men, these women, these children? In a word, it was hope. Records tell us that most of them came from Saint Parish, uh, All Saints Parish Church in Nottinghamshire in England. And they were what we called the Puritans. They were distressed about the religious climate of their country. They wanted to worship God in spirit and in truth purely, but they were distressed at the condition of the church in England, the, uh, the uh, Episcopal Church in England, the Anglican Church, because the Anglican Church said that it was illegal not to go to a church service on Sunday, that they had to go to their church. And in fact, they couldn't start a church that was not licensed by the Church of England. Now, there was a climate of extreme persecution. This was the day of Bloody Mary, who had killed over 300 religious dissenters, including Puritans, over the last five years. And so they realized that if they were going to be able to worship God the way that they felt God was calling them to, they had to take a leap of faith. And so they took their hope in their hands and they decided, we must have freedom to worship, even if it costs us our very lives. You know, as I look at the story of the pilgrims, I ask myself the question, could I have done this? Could I have taken my whole family, my little possessions that I had, and got on a boat for this long and arduous journey? Could I have done this? You know, it's the very same question that this church that we just read this passage about is asking. 
See, this church that this letter to the book of Hebrews is written, in, written to has started a journey as well. A journey of faith. See, they had hopes in this one they called Jesus Christ. That he was the one that they were looking for. That he was the one that could give eternal life. That he was the answer to all of their questions. And yet right now, this church is going through a starving time. They're being persecuted in word and in deed. They're in the middle of this 66-day journey, and they're asking themselves the question, did I make the right choice? We, in some way, can relate to them as well, can't we? Because many of us have started out on our own journey of faith, our own hopes of a new world, when we made a decision to follow Christ. And we took our heart in our hands, and we put all of our weight on this one called Jesus, and we said, I'm going to follow you. But for some of us, we're right in the middle of this starving time. Some of us have made decisions because of our faith and we've lost friends because of it. Some of us have made decisions that have affected the kind of life that we're going to live. And we're asking ourselves the question, is it worth it? Maybe for some of us, you know, it's great that we live in the United States. We don't experience a lot of persecution. But the blessings that many of us long for in the scriptures have not yet materialized. Emotionally, financially, relationally, we continue to struggle as we realize that Christianity is not all a bed of roses. And so we have to ask the question, is it worth it? The message of the writer for this passage and the message that I have for you is yes, but you must endure. Endure, endure, endure. Patiently endure, because we are not yet there to our final destination. So what I want to talk about in the next two hours is this. How not quit? I'm kidding for new people. How do we not quit this race? How do we endure? I'm going to give you a three-part solution. Number one, we have to remember the reason for the race. Remember the reason. Then number two, we have to embrace the reality of the race. Remember the reason, embrace the reality, and finally we have to remember him who has already run the race. So let's look at these three things. As we find our endurance from the one who endured, we shall endure as well. Number one, remember the reason for the race. The passage starts out with this comment, verse 32. Examine the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison. The writer is calling the church to remember the past. Remember how you first acted when you were enlightened. The Greek there literally means when you were brought into the light. What did they do? They endured a hard struggle. This word in the original language, struggle, is, uh, could be translated as an athletic contest. You endured in this contest as you were subject to reproach. Meaning these people were being maligned in word by people around them. They were being persecuted with people speaking against them privately and publicly. They were subject to reproach, but they were also subject to affliction. People were doing things to them. 
They were physically affecting them. They were either beating them, they were doing all sorts of things. These people were being subject to persecution. And all of these things were being occurring publicly. Notice it says that you were publicly exposed. This word in the Greek, <coughs> theatrizo, is from where we get the word theater. Literally means to be brought up on stage. So these people who believed, who put their hope in Christ, were being brought up on stage and being publicly afflicted in word and in deed. But what's amazing is amidst this, how they were responding. Notice that sometimes they were not the ones being afflicted, but their friends were, and they chose to identify with them because they had compassion on them. So instead of hiding, they were stepping out into the light of their own accord subjecting themselves to the same persecution as their friends. What would cause them to do that? But the passage goes on and it says, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See, what was happening was their possessions were being plundered. Whether they were in prison or people were just walking in, we don't know whether it was state-sanctioned or sanctioned by the guilds, but people would just walk into their house and take their things out right in front of them. Can you imagine if you were standing on your front lawn and along comes a group of people and just walks into your house and starts taking your most treasured possessions and walking out with them? But what was their attitude? Joyful acceptance. Why? Because they believed that there was something better for them. Something, a better possession, one that also abided. What was going on with them? What was going on was that they believed the gospel. They believed that it was true. They had faith in the promises of God. And they had to because the heat was turned up. It was push or shove. It was rubber hits the road. And so the writer is saying, do you remember those times in the past in your journey of faith? Remember them. He's telling them that they have to remember. Why? Because they've forgotten. Somewhere along the path in their journey of faith, their eyes have gone from up here to down here. And now they're in danger of giving it all up. They've forgotten why they're living this way in the first place. Reminds me of a story I once heard of a particular church. It's a normal church, kind of like ours. And they would do a service. And during the service, there was a time when they'd always read the Apostles' Creed. But unexplicable to all, when it was time to read the Apostles' Creed, the entire congregation would turn around and read the Apostles' Creed. They'd just turn around and do it. Now, when a newcomer came along and asked the question, why do we turn around and read the Apostles' Creed backwards? Nobody knew the answer. In fact, it bothered someone, including the pastor. It bothered someone so much that they decided, we've got to figure out why is everyone turning around to read the Apostles' Creed? They do the rest of the service for it. They turn around to read the Apostles' Creed. And so someone knew of a gentleman who was bedridden, who hadn't been to church forever, an old, old man who had once gone to the church and he went to visit him. And he asked the question, he said, I don't understand it. Why is it that we do a normal service, but when it's time to read the Apostles' Creed, everybody turns around and reads it? And the old man said, oh, well, that's easy. It's because the Apostles' Creed is written on the back wall. 
Well, you see, it had been painted over years and years ago. The Apostles' Creed was no longer on the back wall. But the tradition stood to turn around and read the Apostles' Creed. See, they'd forgotten why they were doing it in the first place. They just continued to do it. See, that's what the writer is saying right here. And that's the question that I'm asking to you. Do you remember why you started this race in the first place? And I realize that not all of us have faith. Some of us are still examining the claims, but if you are a believer, do you remember why you started the race? Can you think to a time in your life where your faith was so real, when you had such confidence in the promises of God that the way that you act, the way that you behave was synchronous with what you believed? But somehow maybe the light has dimmed and our Christianity has gone from a want to to a have to. Remember the time when you used to go to church because you couldn't wait to hear the pastor talk about the promises of God, to worship with everyone else. But maybe the light has dimmed and now we come to church just because it's the thing that everybody's supposed to do. It's what my parents did. It's what I'm supposed to do as well. And so our Christianity has come from joy to drudgery. The exhortation I want to give you is to go back to the beginning. Remember why you started this race of faith in the first place. Remember the one who set you on course. <coughs> See, one of the great things about the United States of America is no one's putting a gun to our head and saying you have to believe. The choice is ours to start this race anew, afresh, every day. And so we must ask that most important question, why? We're very, very good about asking the question, what? What should I do? What commandments should I obey? What practices should I have? And what is an important question? But the scriptures and Jesus wants us to ask the question first, why? Why do I believe what I believe? Why should I behave this way? How do we ask the question why? We go to the scriptures. See, what this book of right here is when we go to the scriptures with the question why, the scriptures come back to us with the answer, because. Because of what Christ has done. Because it is the truth. Because it is what you're looking for. If we don't come to this book and ask the question why, we won't get the answer because. And you know what? Why is not a question that God is afraid of. Isn't it kind of neat that when the disciples came and they saw Jesus, what did they see? Put your hands in my nails right here. Why did those stay on his hands, even the resurrected body? Because he wanted people to remember why. And so we must remember why, we must remember why as we go to God in the scriptures, as we go to God in prayer. God, tell me again why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because if we don't examine our faith, we will go from facing Jesus to facing the back wall. So point number one, remember why you are on this journey. Well, we must do that. We must also, though, embrace the reality of the race. Not only know the reason for the race, but embrace the reality of race. If we have to remember why we're on this journey, we also have to remember where we are in this journey. Look at this uh, verse here. Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. <coughs> See, the writer is saying, guess what? You're not there yet. In fact, you're not going to get to the end of this race unless you have endurance. Now, why do we need endurance? We need endurance because the race is long. I've had the privilege of running five marathons in my life. And if there's one thing you need in a marathon, it's not speed. You need endurance. Because you can't sprint a marathon unless you're from Kenya and you weigh about 100 pounds. Even those guys can't sprint a marathon. They have to find a pace. They have to find endurance because the race is long. You ever thought to yourself, you know, why doesn't a person just die after they become a Christian? You know, you become a Christian, why doesn't God just take them right then and there and be done with it? Why this need for a race anyways? The reason is because God is doing a work in your life. God is using this life here to train you, to shape you, to mold you, to reform you into His image. God has something He wants to do to you and through you in this life. And so, we must have endurance in this life. And so what does He say? Don't throw away your confidence. Verse 37, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. He's actually quoting the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk. And if you know anything about Habakkuk, he lived in the day when the Babylonians came and they swept over Israel. And they basically were deporting the whole nation, almost, and carrying them back to captivity in Babylon. And so Habakkuk was the unfortunate prophet that had to witness all of this that was going on. But you know what his message was to the people? Don't worry. God has not forgotten about you. But for a while, you are not going to be able to see his blessing. You're not going to be able to see his presence. You're going to have to live on the promises of God. You're going to have to live by faith. The truth is that the Christian walk is a walk of faith. Because as you go through this race, you will have times like that as well. Think about it. Many of us, myself included, started out this race of faith as an 18-year-old kid like a house on fire. I'm a Christian. This is true. We're off to the races. But the race begins to get long. We get tired. We get distracted. We suffer misfortune. And then sometimes all begins to look contrary. As I look at my eyes upon my life and my situation, I don't see God anywhere. And I'm wondering, where has He gone? That is why we need faith. Because the reality is the conditions of this life will change. But God does not. The fortunes of this life will change. Some of you, me included, you've been up. You've been down, and you'll be up again. But God's promises are eternal. Some of you have relationships that have gone up and then disappeared, just cratered there. But God's love and His character and His care for you does not change. So in this race of faith, there's one quality that we definitely need. It's not intelligence. It's not great oratorical skills. 
It's not great Bible knowledge. It's endurance. Endurance to the end. In marathon training, they talk about something called the wall. I don't know if you know much about marathon training, but they talk about this thing called the wall. And the wall is a time in the race where you physiologically come up against and emotionally come up against your limits as a runner. I remember my first race, the Marine Corps Marathon, back in 92, I think. And I had heard about the wall, but I'd never experienced it before. And I thought to myself, whatever, essentially. I'm young, I can run. And so I get off, and it's me and 20,000 of my friends running the Marine Corps Marathon. And all is fine and dandy in the beginning. But there's a section in the Marine Corps Marathon, which is up in D.C., called Sewell's Point. And Sewell's Point is this finger of land in which you kind of run away from everybody and you come back. And the thing about Sewell's Point is it's the one part of the race where there really isn't anybody. All the rest of the race, there are thousands of people that are cheering you. In fact, I knew a lot of the other routes of the race, but when you go out to Sewell's Point, it is strangely quiet. And Sewell's Point is miles 17 to 20. And let me tell you, when I hit Sewell's Point, I hit the wall. And I felt my body shutting down. And I felt myself slowing down, and I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I had reached my limits. And the reason the wall is there is because you're far away enough from the starting point, but you're still six to nine miles away from the finish point. And you begin to despair that you'll never make it. And I confess, I had to slow down, walk for a little bit, and I finished that race physically spent. Well, the great thing about that was that I ran this race another time. And this time, I was ready for the wall because I knew it was going to be there. And I had already run the race before, so I knew that the finish line was out there, that I could cross it if I just kept going. And so when I went out to Sewell's Point and I saw that wall staring at me in the face, I was able to do what? To endure. Was it fun? No. But I pushed through and pushed through, and I finished, and I took 34 minutes off of my time because I was able to endure through the wall. See, the Christian race, my friends, is a marathon. And the goal is not to win. The goal is simply to endure. Because a life of faith is hard. You have to trust in Christ. See, there are places you can go, there are even churches where you can go, where you'll hear the message that if you trust in Christ, all will get easier. Your problems will disappear, your attitude will improve, your husband will start looking better. <laughs> but friends, it's not true. And the reason it's not true is because Christianity is not a pill. Christianity is a person. And in his providence, he has made this race to be a race of endurance, not a sprint. So where are you right now in this race of faith? Maybe you haven't even started yet. You're contemplating starting this race of faith. Maybe you're just out of the blocks and you're like a house on fire and everything's great. And I want to say to you, enjoy it. Enjoy it. But maybe right now you're at mile 17 and you've hit the wall. And you're experiencing the same problems in your life. You still fight with your wife. You still don't know how to talk to your kids. Your prayers are still feeling like they're bouncing off the ceiling 
And you're wondering, if I, am I ever going to get there? My admonition to you is to keep running. Someone said, if you're going through hell, keep going. We've got to keep running. And the way we do that is remembering why we started and remembering that this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So live by faith, my friends. Whatever you're struggling with right now in your life, you have to apply that lens of faith. Whether it's marriage or kids or work, you have to call upon that strength to endure despite our feelings. Because if you find your endurance from the one who endured, you shall endure as well. This brings me to my final point, that we must remember him who has already run the race. This passage finishes with this thought, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. See, here's the question we have to ask, how can I be sure that I'm gonna make it? I mean, maybe I'll be like that guy on Soul's Point. I'm just going to, there's going to become a, a time in my life where I can't go any further, and I'm just going to pull off to the side. What if I just stop? You won't. What if I can't make it? You can. Well, how can I be sure of that? The reason we can be sure of that is because the one who has called you into this race has already finished it. Jesus Christ. See, when you think about it, all of this passage, all that I've been reading here in this passage is true of Him. Look at this first part, verse 32. For you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. See, Jesus has already endured that before us. The Scriptures tell us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who was tempted in every way just as we were, yet was without sin. Jesus understands what it means to endure with struggle. How about this? You were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Christ certainly was, wasn't he? If there was anyone who was brought on the theater, on the stage before the world, to be publicly exposed to reproach, it was Christ. Mocked, flogged, spit upon, insulted, condemned in a kangaroo court before the world. And yet Christ said nothing, enduring the cross, scorning its shame. How about verse 34? Joyfully accepted the plundering of his property. When you think about it, who has given up more than Christ in this Christian race, the race which is named after him? For was not Christ king? who sat on the right hand of the Father? Was not all treasure and all kingdoms in his hands? And yet, being a very baby, born to a poor family, a teenager, suffering as a human, not being recognized by the very people that he made. Why did Christ do this? Why did he subject himself to giving up so much joyfully accepting the loss of his possessions. Because Christ knew that there was an abiding possession afterwards. See, here's the beauty. Christ has run the race, 
And Christ has received his prize. And do you know what Christ's prize is? It's you. And it's me. See, Christ has run this race for you and me. We are his lasting possession that he endured the cross for. See, think about it. How did you start this race? Do you really think that it was you who found the path? No, no, no. It was Christ who called you, who brought you into the light. It was Jesus who ransomed you, who rescued you. And because you are his prize that he has earned rightfully, he will not let you go. He will make sure that we finish the race. Many of us can remember the, point, the poignant story of Derek Redmond, a British Olympic 400-meter runner who was in the semifinalist. He was a sprinter. Derek had already undergone a lot of hardships before Barcelona. It was in the Seoul Olympics that he had been forced to withdraw just 10 minutes before due to injury. But he had worked his way back. He had re-qualified for the British team. And here he was before the stage of the world in Barcelona in a semi-final heat, 400 meters to get into the final. And he was feeling in the shape of his life. And as Derek Redmond heard the shot and took off out of the blocks, he was rounding the corner in first place, right on the edge with everyone. And that was when he thought he heard a gunshot. And he looked around and he realized that what had happened was his hamstring had almost completely tore. And Derek Redman tried to push on with all of his life, but he was physically incapable of doing so. And there in a heartbeat, Derek Redman's chances of gold were gone. His hopes were dashed. He struggled and fell to the ground, beginning to weep as the Olympic officials started coming toward him with the stretcher. But many of you remember the picture of Derek Redmond's dad, Jim Redmond, who jumped the wall, came out of the crowd, and came alongside Derek Redmond and embraced his son. And all Derek Redmond said was, Dad, I want to finish the race. And so Jim Redmond put his shoulder underneath Derek Redmond's arm, and he lifted him up, and together they walked the rest of that oval as the crowd got to their feet to cheer the father who helped the son finish the race. Does anybody who remember, remember who won that race? I don't remember. Nobody remembers. All they remember was that Derek Redmond finished See, the reason you can finish the race is because you have one who loves you, who died for you, who has come out of heaven itself to come alongside you, to encourage you, and to lift you up even when you can't make it on your own. And guess what? We can't. So friends, I conclude with this. Don't throw away your confidence. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in yourself? Or is your confidence in the one who can carry you to the finish line? See, we have to have faith. But faith in who? Faith in ourselves? 
or faith in the one who has already won the race. No, our confidence is in Him, in His power to finish the race, and in His love to get us to the finish line. So wherever you're struggling, wherever you feel like you're falling down and you want to quit, focus not on yourself, focus not on the world, focus on Him. When you can't go on, stretch out your hands to Him, and He will catch you. He ran for you, and He will run with you all the way to the finish line. If you find your endurance from the one who endured, you shall certainly endure as well. Let us pray.